Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Adventures in Death Care podcast. This is Herman, your host, and let's get right into it, shall we? Let's talk about death, baby. First thing that I am going to start with, and I want to do this on all future shows, is kind of go over terminology. If you're a follower of the Adventures in Death Care Tumblr, you'll see that I put terminology up there. I put the process of doing a removal. It's going to get very, very detailed now due to the fact that I finally have unpacked from my move from Southern California and I have access to all my texts. So one thing that I want to do as well as on the Tumblr page is teach you guys the proper terminology or the proper lingo that goes on within the death care industry. One of the first terms that I'm going to teach you guys, and I know that I went over this months, maybe more than a year ago on my Tumblr about this. Um, and it's the difference that many people do not seem to get. Many people do not understand that a morgue and a mortuary are not synonymous. So what I'm going to do right now is give you guys the term as the American Board of Funeral Service Education tests on. So according to the ABFSE standards and textbooks, a morgue is a place where dead human bodies are kept until identified and or released for final disposition. Basically, a morgue is a refrigerated room. More than likely, you'll know that a morgue is in a hospital it can also be in a corner in a coroner's office before they take the body for autopsy or any type of post-mortem examination a mortuary is an actual place of business it's used in the care and preparation for the funeral and or final disposition of the dead human bodies now a morgue can be inside the mortuary but technically, it wouldn't be considered a morgue unless the bodies there have been unidentified. Um, it's just that a morgue is, it's it's just there so that it's, I don't like to call it that, but we can call it, it's a holding cell for dead bodies before they're released to a mortuary or to a coroner. And another thing that people like to um confuse are what a coroner is and what a mortician is. Now, a mortician is the person that's responsible for the, um, for, you know, a funeral director, according to the ABFSE, is a person properly licensed, engaged in, or conducting or holding him or herself out as being engaged in one preparing other than by embalming for the burial or disposition of dead human bodies, and or two, maintaining or operating a funeral establishment for the preparation and disposition or for the care of dead human bodies. Now we go back to the definition of a coroner. And what a coroner is, is a public officer whose chief duty is to investigate cause of death when the question of accident suicide or homicide may be evident or where there was no doctor in attendance. You see, the coroner's job and the medical examiner and pathologist's job is to determine 
why this person died, how they died, uh, just in case there's any um, foul play so that the person responsible can hopefully be put behind bars. Now, in many states, the medical examiner has, um, the coroner has replaced the medical examiner. I know here in California, it definitely has. And um, that's a huge difference. Many people, they go to mortuary school and they're all like, oh, I want to be a coroner. But they mean embalmer. I mean, I've had classmates that do want to go into the coroner's division, and that's awesome. But what a coroner does and what an embalmer does are two different things. For example, um, when you prepare the when a coroner prepares a body, it's basically after the autopsy, they'll suture the body up and they'll give it to the funeral home to properly prepare them for viewing and embalming them in that sort. So those are a few terms that people like to mix match and I'm here to answer those. Now the reason that I'm reading you guys a definition is because this is the way that mortuary schools tests uh, for the national board exams. So um, as I go on longer with my topics, um, I want to in a few weeks, or I can't even promise a few weeks, but soon enough, I'll try to update Tumblr with more procedures. Um, I want to teach you guys about casket components. If any of you are interested in learning about the anatomy of a casket, I'm your dude right here. So that's one thing. Um, moving on, one of the things that has been hitting the news lately, and I have to comment on it because it is creating a crazy effect between funeral directors and their beliefs. So recently there was an obituary that was published online for a gentleman named Leslie Ray Charping. Now, what's different about this specific obituary is that this obituary was not favorable to Mr. Charping. So what I'm going to do is read you guys the obituary and give my opinion about the way that this obituary was written and the way that the funeral home handled it. So... Leslie Ray Popeye Charbing was born in Galveston on November 20th, 1942 and passed away January 30th, 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. Leslie battled with cancer in his latter years and lost his battle ultimately due to being the horse's ass he was known for. He leaves behind two relieved children. A son, Leslie Roy Charping, and daughter, Sheila Smith, along with six grandchildren and countless other victims, including an ex-wife, relatives, friends, neighbors, doctors, nurses, and random strangers. At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example of bad parenting combined with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Leslie enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more as a part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. 
Well enlisted, Leslie was the Navy boxing champion and went on to sufficiently embarrass his family and country by spending the remainder of his service in the Balboa Mental Health Hospital, receiving much-needed mental health care services. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent. However, he lacked ambition and motivation to do anything more than being reckless wasteful, squandering in the family savings, and fantasizing about get-rich-quick schemes. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled with than the, pre the previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no other obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or service community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did. Being a loving husband, father, and good friend, no services will be held. There will be no prayers for eternal peace and no apologizes to the family he tortured. Leslie remains will be cremated and kept in the barn until Ray, the family donkey's wood shavings, run out. Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. This obituary is quite savage in many ways, but it's also heartbreaking because one of the things that I will say, and I've said it in an interview with a colleague of mine, um, it's on YouTube. If you guys want the link, um, you can search it or email me. But anyway, one thing that I said is grief is like a fingerprint. Everybody grieves in a very different way. But one thing that I do give families the freedom to is to grieve how they want to grieve. It is not my decision to tell someone what is normal to them if their normal is completely what's strange to me. But this particular obituary caused a huge rift in many funeral directors with their beliefs because one, at one point, do we say, okay, this was a little over the top. And at another point, where do we say, hey, this is what the family wants. This is what the family published. This is what it is. I mean, if Leslie was hated so much, I mean, at least he got an obituary. Um, That's what I can say about that. But one thing I will say is in life, and I'm speaking to everybody here. In life, death does not absolve you from any bad things you did to people. One thing that I've always learned is people won't ever remember what you did for them, but they will remind, always remember how you made them feel. Now, one thing that I didn't notice when I first read this obituary was that about Leslie's mental health. And that was an issue that people kept bringing up. You know, if this guy was mentally ill, why are you treating him this way? Maybe he can't help it. And as a person who has their own mental issues and knows people in the industry with a lot of mental issues, you know, there is a huge, there is a huge 
um, issue where we say, okay, is, is this person deserving of these harsh words or do, do we just go over the top? The funeral home that provided this obituary has since deleted this entry, but it's already internet famous as we, we can say, but all I will say is death does not absolve anybody of the horrors that one inflicted on another. I don't know the Charping family personally, so I cannot personally say that they were vindicated in doing this or that they had any reasons in doing this. That's all on them. It is a new era that we are in, and maybe maybe a lot of people don't see this, but we grieve and we see our grief in a very different way now. It's not the normal where, oh, people cry. I mean, I had a friend whose family member died and they were actually pretty happy because the, according to them, the sorry son of a bitch will finally leave me alone. I mean, I'm sorry for the language, but again, we all grieve differently. Sometimes anger comes first <laughs> when we grieve, but this was the family's right. They had every right to do this, whether or not they were right in doing so. That's up to them. I personally don't know the the issues. The only person that would have known the family is the funeral home that took care of Mr. Charping. So aside from that, I can honestly say this probably won't be the last obituary we see like this. I know in many um, viewings and funeral services that I've I've um, helped direct. Yeah, they may not have published an obituary, but they use the eulogy time to really, really um, let the decedent have it post-mortem with words. So moving on to one of our last subjects is this video that NPR published. Um, and... I don't know if it was a video because I know that the video that I'm talking about is a funeral home's response, but basically there was an article or there was an investigation, I shall say, about funeral homes and price gouging, not just price gouging, but violating FTC rules about giving prices Remember, I believe in the second episode of the Adventures in Death Care podcast, we talked about how you have to give the prices as soon as you can. Sad to say, some funeral homes do not abide by those rules. And one thing that people will notice, especially with this report, is many funeral homes will say, we're not price gouging. What you're paying is for the service. Look at our funeral home. It is beautiful. We have professional staff. You're, you've got to pay a lot to get great service. You get what you pay for. Sadly to say, in my personal honest opinion, that is not always true. That is not always true. I have seen family firms that charge about a quarter what some corporates charged, and they give immaculate service. Immaculate service. 
Um, again, you guys know I've worked in, in corporate um, funeral homes. And one funeral home that I um, worked at particularly, um, this was before I, I decided to, to leave the industry to completely go back to school and give it 100% of my attention, was when I was arranging at a Los Angeles-based corporate firm. The first thing they taught me, and this was where I knew that money does not buy ethics, the first thing they taught me was how to ask for money. It wasn't helping the person find a great service that would fit the the budget needs. It was how are you going to get the money out of this person? And I understand the death care business. It's a bit, it is a business. It is an industry. But the thing that these practitioners were telling me is, oh, well, they can just go down the street to the competitor and pay $1,000 for a crematory. But good luck if they, if good luck if, um, you see the body ever again. And at the end of the day that I'm telling you, I have seen unethical practices from many firms that charge much more than those that don't. So I remember one comment about this report was someone saying that um, if a funeral home looks nice, you're bound to pay more and you're bound to get better services. That's not true. I think the only thing I have to say about funeral homes refusing to put their general price list online and um, refusing to give uh, people correct answers in regards to the prices, why, why aren't you guys doing it? I, I don't understand. I really do not understand why you try to keep your prices secret. The FTC funeral rule makes it so that you have to have complete transparency. Complete transparency. I just don't get it. If I owned my own establishment and someone was just cold calling for prices, these are the prices I'm going to get and I'm going to give them. Now, I understand that some funeral homes are saying, okay, well, what about the case-by-case -case scenario? Um, there should not be a case-by-case -case scenario. If you mean case-by-case -case scenario is if you're going to see whether they come in a Toyota or a Mercedes, that's completely unethical in my views. But I understand that some funeral homes, they'll say, hey, we charge less for families who, you know, may not have. I understand that sometimes firms can bend over backwards and give a different price. But, you know, if you, you start treating everyone equally, you're bound to set on a better foot than if you just keep prices from people. One of the things that I keep saying, and I think I've mentioned it, is the caveat vendor. Let the seller beware. You, as a funeral home professional, should not be trying to hide anything from the families. Not that I'm saying you guys are, but if your funeral home has to be investigated so as to find out why you're keeping your prices from your consumer, um, you might want to reevaluate why you entered this, this industry. 
because I, I couldn't do that to my families that I serve. And I don't know why someone would be able to do that. But then again, if we didn't have these investigations, what scandal would there be in the industry, right? So you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to try to do this a lot more frequently. I've tried to do this weekly, but I, I just can't or I don't have enough material. I finally got all my books out, so I finally have better material to have for you guys. So until then, um, we'll see each other on the next episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, memento mori. Talk to you guys soon.